Stand up and turn to somebody around you and say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Thank you for being here. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I just wanted to make sure that most everybody was awake at the start of the sermon. What happens from here on out, I don't know. I can't make any promises. I'm going to have to share something with you as a, um, as a proud father. Um, our daughter Haley, uh, she and a group of, of folks from Harding spent this weekend. They went, um, I'm not sure where they went, Jonesboro, I think, maybe. Jonesboro or Hot Springs, somewhere about an hour outside of, of uh, Searcy. And they went to a thing called, the, it's the National Association for Teachers of Singing. N-A-T-S, National Association of Teachers for Singing. And she's a music major there at Harding. I think she went last year, and they, uh, they compete in different categories. Um, I think she made it to the semifinals last year, uh, and that's as, as far as she got, which was pretty amazing. Uh, this year, uh, I was up here at the community meal yesterday, and, and uh, she called me, and she said, is mom there? I said, well, no, she, she'll be here in just a minute. She said, I need both of you there at the same time. I said, I, I, I took that as a good thing, and uh, that's kind of the way she operates. Um, if it's something bad, she calls her mom first. <laughs> so anyway, um, I said, well, she's not here right now. What's going on? And she said, I made it to the finals. And I was like, I was so stoked. I was so happy because whatever happens after that, you know, that's better than last year. She's, she's climbed another rung on the ladder, and, and, and she's doing great. Well, she called us last night, and um, she, she not only made it to the finals, but she got first place in her category. So um, she actually got a, sent a clip. Some, one, of the, one of her friends actually um, uh, filmed it on, on his phone, and then she sent us a clip, so we were able to, to watch it last night. So that was really a lot of fun, and as a proud father, I just thought I would, uh, as a captive audience, I would just share with you this morning <laughs> what happened. So, thank you for indulging me. Hebrews chapter 12. Oh, there's so much good stuff here in the book of Hebrews. As I began to read, um, and um, appreciate our reading this morning uh, that Scott shared with us there, verses 12. 13, 14, I began to kind of see things in a different light. Um, I don't know if I've ever read this text here, this passage through here, and landed where I did early last week as I was beginning to think about my thoughts and what I would share. And uh, the poem uh, by John Donne, No Man is an Island, it, it just kept reverberating uh, in my mind. I love this thing right here. Um, if you remember, uh, or maybe you don't, uh, John Donne, he is, um, let me just say, that is a very cool goatee. Can I just say that? I mean, look at that. That thing is just uh, to be imitated. He's got good hair, too. Um, he was born in 1572, died in 1631 at the age of, of 59, but he was a, a poet, he was a soldier, uh, he was a secretary, eventually became a cleric in the Church of England. Uh, he was known and revered as, 
as England's probably most prominent um, metaphysical poet. I'm not exactly sure how I would describe that or explain that to you, or if, if I even know what it means. But um, uh, he wrote a poem called No Man is an Island. Let me just share this with you. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never sin to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Now those last two lines I had heard, um, read it somewhere, seen it printed somewhere growing up in school, and that's all I knew, and I really didn't understand what it meant. Ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. What does that mean? I don't know what that meant. So, let's just go back here real quickly. No man is an island, entire of itself, but, but every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. What he's saying basically is, we're all in this together. We're all in this thing of life, humanity. We're all in this thing together, okay? And then he says, if a clod, if a little bitty dirt clod was washed away by the sea, then the whole continent of Europe would be the less, even if it's just a little bit, right? And then he says, as well as if a promontory were. Well, I looked up the word promontory, and that's a, a high uh, piece of land that, that juts out into the sea. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big chunk of land that, that would jut out into the sea, a promontory. So even if a, a small clot of dirt were washed away, Europe would be the less. Even like if a, if a big chunk of Europe was washed away, even a small clot of dirt would be the same. Europe ultimately, the continent, would be the less. Even if your house, your manner of, of your friend or yours were washed away, okay? And then he says this. Any man's death diminishes me. That, that, that's kind of hard for us to say, I think, at times, because people die every day all over the world. We don't know them, and they'll never know us. And so this idea that any person's death might diminish me is, is sort of sobering. And he says, I'm involved in mankind. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, all of us this morning could say the same thing. We're all involved in mankind. And therefore, never sin to know for whom the bell tolls. When, when someone would pass away, when there would be a funeral, they would ring the church bells, ring the church bells. So he says, it's really of no use for you to send somebody down the hill and say, who died today? Whose funeral is it? Don't ask whom the bell is tolling for. Guess what? It tolls for thee for you, for me, because any man's life, when he's passed, diminishes me because we're all in this thing together. 
Are you with me? That's what I think the Hebrew writer is sharing with his readers this morning. We're in this together. Al Jarreau, uh, some of you may know that name, Al Jarreau. He used to sing a song, We're in this love together. You remember that song? Paul and I were watching a, um, a documentary of sorts just the other day. Um, you remember the song, We Are the World? 1985. That was just a couple of years ago, right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. When Paula, when, I was like, 1985, that was just a couple of years ago. It's been a while. But if you remember the circumstances, um, there was a famine going on in Ethiopia. Children, people were starving to death. Years had gone by. They, their, their crop, they had no crops, and literally hundreds, thousands were dying of starvation. Uh, a group over in Europe had already put together a song called Feed the World. All of these uh, European artists, some of you remember that song, Feed the World, Let Them Know It's Christmas Time Out There. Does anybody remember that? Do your head like this, okay. All right. So, still awake, thank you. So, they had done that, and so now some artists here in America got the idea uh, to write a song, to try to raise money. Everybody's going to do it for free, donate their time and their talents, and they're going to raise money. Um, a man by the name of Lionel Richie, and then a guy that some of you heard of called Michael Jackson. They, they got together and were writing a song. They were trying to get hold of Stevie Wonder, but he wasn't answering his phone. He wasn't returning his calls. So in a couple of days' time, these two guys wrote a song called We Are the World. We are the children. We are the ones to make a brighter day. So let's start giving. And they came together. There was the American Music Awards. Lionel Richie was hosting. He won five or six awards that year. And after that big award show, all of these artists that they had got to sign on to be a part of this for free leave that and go to the studio. There's like 47, 50 people all these big-name artists, and they joined together to sing a song, We Are the World. They said it raised over $80 million for famine relief. None of them got paid a penny. They just all donated their time because they realized in some way that even though they'll never see these people in Africa, they'll never see these children who are starving to death in Ethiopia, that we're all in this thing together. We're all part of each other just because we're human beings, just because we are alive and a part of, of mankind. I think we so often forget that the Genesis account, if you believe the Genesis account, and I confess to you that I believe it, each and every one of us came from Father Adam and Mother Eve. I believe that that is a fact. I don't believe that that's just a theory or that, that Genesis is, is some sort of allegory. I believe that that is a fact. And if it is, all of us here this morning are kinfolk. Be it distantly, we're all from the same mother and father. We're in this together. And so notice... In our text this morning, Hebrews chapter 12, 
Oh, I think I've got a little clicker up here. Yeah. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. The writer is telling these original recipients, those of you who are strong, help those who are weak. Help those whose arms are, are feeble and their, their knees are weak. I can sort of relate to the, to the weak knee thing here the older I get. We're, we're on a journey together. He's been reminding them. The whole letter to the Hebrew people is telling them, don't quit. Don't go back. I've said it week after week after week. They, they, they're tempted to, to stop following Jesus and to go back to Judaism. They've been persecuted. They've had their, their property confiscated. Some of them have been thrown in prison. And he, tell, he told them last week or the week before, he said, don't. Don't give up. Fix your eyes on Jesus. You've not yet shed your blood. You're still alive. You haven't died. Jesus died. Consider him who, who went to the cross, bearing its scorn and its shame and its guilt. He did this for you. So don't give up. There were people that were on this journey, and some of them were saying, I, I just want to turn around. I want to go back. I just want to sit down here in the road. I'm tired of the journey. I just, I'm ready to quit. And he's telling them time and time again, don't do that. Keep going. And now he says, strengthen those. Those of you who are strong, you need to help those that are weak. Because there are some among you that are, that are wanting to quit. The problem you see with going back to Judaism, with the temple and the sacrifices and the burning of the incense and, and the musical instruments and inciting the people to, to worship. Going back to Judaism, the problem with that is all of that points to Jesus, right? So why, now that you're, you've got Jesus, you're following him as Messiah, you believe that he is the Son of God, to go back to Judaism it's going back to a system that's just going to point you to Jesus. There, that makes no sense to go back. So he says, strengthen those that are weak. You're, strengthen your feeble arms, your weak knees. And then he quotes from the Proverbs, make level paths for your feet. Whatever is in the way, if there's a, a stone or a branch or a tree limb or whatever could, could trip somebody up, get rid of those things. Make level paths for your feet. And what I want to do, what I want to say to you this morning is, I want to be strong for you as your preacher, as one who teaches you, one who stands up here and opens the word of God and tries to break the bread of life to you and feeds you. I want to be strong for you. But listen to me. When you're weak and when you're feeble, and I can be strong for you, you need to get strong again because there may come a time when I need you to be strong for me. We have four shepherds here in this place, four men that we call our elders and our shepherds, and I believe that they are strong in the word. They're men of prayer, and they're praying for you, and I believe that they are strong, but guess what? 
They're men, feet of clay. They get tired. They get weak. And so who's going to be strong for them? You see, we, we can't stay weak. We can't stay feeble. We all get to that point, I think, at times. We all get tired on the journey. Sometimes we just, just let me sit down just for a minute. And then I'll get up, I'll get back, I promise I will, I'll get back up and I'll start walking, and, and sometimes we do, but sometimes we just want to lie there and wallow in it. But eventually, we've got to get better, because somebody else might need you to be strong. Does that make sense? So, my, my, my basketball team a couple of weeks ago... Um, was watching them play. I wish I hadn't. Um, a couple of the star players, the guys that just are always, you know, 18, 20, 25 points a game, they were kind of off a little bit, right? And so that's when you expect, you know, a couple of the other guys to sort of kind of step up. Guys that maybe don't contribute all the time all that much. Sometimes they, they're able to step into the gap and step up, and, and you kind of eke out a win anyway, you know, when your star players aren't, aren't playing so well. The other night, a couple of weeks ago, not only were the star players not doing very well, but nobody was stepping up. Nobody was filling the gap. And we lost miserably, miserably. I think what, what the Hebrew writer is saying is, those of you who are strong, you need to help the feeble. Help those that aren't as strong as you right now because we got to keep going. we got to keep on the journey. You can't stop. Don't stop. Don't give up. Why? Because we're in this together. We've got to start seeing ourselves. Now I'm talking to us. We've got to start seeing ourselves as a community of believers who are sojourning together. We're all on this, this journey of faith following Jesus. And God... God never wanted us to, to go alone. We're in this together. we all got to pull in the same direction. And so, he goes on to say, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Make every effort to live in peace. If you've ever taken a family vacation on a long journey, with more than one child, you know that peace is a very precious commodity. Am I right? When they start saying, how many more minutes? You just left the house, you know? How many more minutes? How many more miles? Oh, just over the hill, you know. Peace is a precious commodity when you're jammed in a car together and you've got a long trip ahead. When I was a kid, we had, uh, I may have told you before, we had a Ford Galaxy 500. Anybody remember the Ford Galaxy 500? It was dark green. It was like an army-type green, and it was, it was the size of a tank, really. Got about eight or ten gallons to the mile. Back when you could afford gas, eight or ten gallons to the mile. And that thing was... It was about as wide as this stage right here, I think. And we would be tooling down the road going to see my grandparents. We only went a couple of times a year. Usually had to wait until work was over and we'd hit and it would be almost dark and here we are heading 
to northeast Arkansas. It was about a five-hour trip. And I've got an older sister. I've got a younger sister. <clears throat> and the seat was really big enough for the three of us. But after a few minutes, after an hour, after an hour and a half, two hours, she's touching me. Stop touching me. She, he's touching me. And then, you know, turn around and don't make me pull this car over. If I have to pull this car over, somebody's going to get a whooping, you know. And he, she's looking at me. It's not touching. Now it's looking, you know. She's looking at me. Stop looking at your brother. She's looking at, you know, on and on that kind of thing goes. Well, after a while, we would separate. And my sister, who was pretty tall for her age, she was like 5 feet 11, um, she would lay down across the back seat. I mean, that's like a comfortable bed in a Ford Galaxy 500. She lay across the bed, and I would volunteer to get into the floorboard. I would lie on my back, put a, put a pillow down, and then let my feet go across the hump, you know. Anybody, anybody ever done that on a long trip? Anybody? All right, thank you, brother. I want somebody to commiserate with me. After five or ten minutes, that thing starts getting a little warm. But at least we're separated. My little sister, I kid you not, climbed up onto the back between uh, Tammy's. You're doing your head like this. Uh, she'd climb up there and lie across on the top of the back of the top back seat underneath the window. I mean, if you just tap the brake, woo! I mean, you know, woo! Um, but we would do that to separate ourselves so that somebody wouldn't be touching somebody. Peace on the journey. Peace on the journey is so important. And the Hebrew writer is saying, make every effort to live in peace as you go on this journey of faith and to be holy. Maybe your Bible says sanctified. Anybody's Bible say sanctified or sanctification? We all, there, there you go. We're all... We're all reading from the NIV, maybe. I want to share with you 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This passage sort of, sort of jumped out at me as I was, was reading. To be sanctified means to be holy. It's, it's, it's the same translation, just different words. Holiness, uh, that, that we, some of us struggle with that. This idea of being Holy, because you say, right now, I'm not, I'm not holy. I'm so far from being holy. I mean, if God, if God just really knew me, <laughs> if God really knew how I was, well, guess what? He knows, and he loves you anyway. Sanctified, being sanctified. I've told you, salvation, salvation happens in a moment. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you trust him, when you obey his gospel, God saves you. And you're never more saved than you are if you're saved. You're not just a little bit saved or not quite. You're, you're either saved or you're not. But sanctification is the process of becoming more like Christ. It's the process of becoming holy. Of, of separating yourself from the world, not living by the world's standards anymore, not being attracted to all of the shiny baubles and things that the world presents to us. So 
Paul writes to the church in, in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, chapter 4, let's just start in verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will, here we go, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. That's what it means to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be holy before God. You see, this idea about living in peace with everyone all of our sojourners, all of our brothers and sisters that are on the, the journey with us, we want to live in peace with each other because that um, is, is talking about our relationship with one another. But we want to be sanctified and we want to be holy because in order to have a relationship with God, that's what has to happen. You and I have to be sanctified. We have to be holy in order to have a relationship with God. And you know when you look in the mirror that you are not holy and that it, it is impossible for you to have that relationship with God. And that's why God sent his son Jesus. That's what the whole letter to the Hebrews has been about. Jesus came and he removed the curtain. The curtain was torn in two, Lynn. God removed that. And now there's a way for mankind to come into the presence of a holy God. And his name is Jesus. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. So, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. What he's, what he's telling them is keep walking, keep going. You see, we all enjoy the grace of God in our lives. Even, even non-believers, those who profess no faith in God or, or his son Jesus, even those people enjoy what we would call the common graces of God. The sun came up this morning. There's air to breathe. Many people sat down to a big breakfast this morning. They enjoyed all of these beautiful graces that God bestows upon mankind, even if they don't have faith in him at all. But the Hebrew writer is telling his people, 
See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Because there is coming a time, there is coming a day in the ages to come when Jesus returns, and you don't want to miss out on that grace. You don't want to miss that. So what do you need to do? Keep walking. Stay on the journey. Don't turn back. Don't, don't turn back. Keep walking. Earlier, Jesus was this way, right? So I'm, I'm going to walk this way. <laughs> that, that was turning around. This is Jesus. Keep walking. Keep going. Don't turn around. Don't give up. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause you trouble and to defile many. What would disrupt the journey more readily than for sojourners to get cross with each other, for there to be a bitter root that, that sprung up that causes trouble? You know, I'm convinced that there is nothing, nothing that can tear down the church of God. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, you got, go back and read it. But the church, the people that make up the church, if we begin to fuss and we begin to fight, that, nothing Satan can throw at us from without will tear us down. The only thing that could tear us down is if we start fighting amongst ourselves. We start dividing and splitting. And the church has been known for that way too often in the past several centuries, all throughout our history. I don't like you. You look at me wrong. We'll just go do something different. We'll start our own work. We'll do, we'll do our own thing. No, 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 no. No. The world needs to see unity. The world needs to see the body of Christ loving each other, working together, pulling in the same direction, not fighting, not fussing. Nothing. There is no power of hell that can stand against the church. It's impossible. God has said, my church is always going to stand. So the battle is already won. We just got to get rid of these skirmishes between ourselves, brothers and sisters, not loving, not, not pulling in the same direction. No, 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 that's, that's, what, that's what will harm the church. And that is a testimony to our world that if they can't even get along, why would I want to be a part of that? Why would I want to be a part of that? No, what a powerful testimony to the world when we love each other, when we stand shoulder to shoulder. Oh, my goodness. Where are we? See that no one is sexually immoral. That, that's, that's what Thessalonians, that's what Paul was talking about with Thessalonians to the church in Thessaloniki. He says, don't be sexually immoral. Don't, don't get caught up with somebody that you're on the journey with and don't go outside of, of those sojourners because we've got to stay focused. This is, this is the trap of our society, of our world. Sexual things are just rampant, and it's so easy. This is a, the play that Satan runs time after time, and it keeps working, and he just keeps running that same play over and over and over again. We cannot fall for it. We cannot fall prey. 
We cannot become sexually immoral or godless like Esau. Now, now the Hebrew writer is invoking um, a patriarch, not in a positive way like we saw in Hebrews chapter 11, not like uh, you need to emulate these people, Abraham and Noah and, and, and Moses. No, now he invokes Esau. Don't be godless, sexually promiscuous, a man like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. I think the reason he, he, he brings Esau into, into the, the conversation here is because Esau did not consider what he had and how valuable it was. Remember a couple of weeks ago I was talking about what, what we already have, what we as Christians already possess. We need to understand how precious and how valuable it is if we only had an inkling of how valuable the gift of the Holy Spirit is. Oh, my goodness. What could we do as an individual? What could we do as a body of people, as a church that belongs to Jesus Christ, if we could harness the power of the Holy Spirit that's already in us? You see, Esau already possessed the rights of the firstborn. He was the oldest, even by just a few minutes, because he was the oldest child, the oldest male son, guess what? He got a double portion of the inheritance just because. He already had that from the moment he was born, but he did not consider how precious that was. And so he took something that was valuable and precious and he profaned it. For a bowl of lentil soup, he sold the rights of the firstborn. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Esau. He could have been a contender. But God knew. God knew in advance. Even in the womb, he said, the older will serve the younger. He knew what kind of man Esau would be. And so he uh, had already decided beforehand that Jacob, he would be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not Esau. Don't become sexually immoral or don't give away what is so precious. Think about it. Think about how precious this is. Afterward, as you know, Esau, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. By whom was Esau rejected? By his father or by his God? Or maybe both. Oh, he wanted the blessing so badly, but he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he would not change. He could not change what he had done. The point of the lesson this morning we are on this journey together God never meant for us to go it alone some of us maybe even here in this room we 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 seem to be on the fringe on the fringes 
of, of, of this church, of this body. Maybe you find it difficult to, to integrate, to be a part of things. You know, sometimes we have our little clicks and, and little things, and those aren't all bad. When, when you hear the word click, you think, about a, think of a negative thing, right? Well, they're just a click. They're just the pretty girls, or they're just the athletes. They're just the jocks, you know, and, and, and you can't break into that because maybe you don't want to break into that. You're not that. We always think of cliques in a negative way, but they're not necessarily negative. We just have an affinity for people that are kind of like us, who have children the same age as us, or we're in the same, you know, uh, age bracket, and we've kind of been through the same things. There's a natural affinity for that. That's okay. That's okay. But each one of us needs to kind of get outside of our own little affinity group, our own little clique, if you will, and, and look and see who, who, who's on the fringe, who's always by themselves, who, who's not in with the rest of us, and, and bring them in, invite them in. Why? Because we're in this together. We're on this journey together. We've got to strengthen each other's feeble arms and weak knees. Why? Because we're on this journey together. God doesn't want anybody to be alone. That's why, uh, go back and read 1 Corinthians 12, where, where Paul says, uh, talks about us being in the body. We're all parts of the same body. And you might be a, a, an ugly, physical, ugly, you know, small little part of the body, and you say, well, I'm not, I'm not very important. You know, I'm the appendix. I'm the appendix. I'm expendable. You could rip me out and throw me away, and nobody would even miss me. No, you're important. You're so important to the body. I want you to know God never meant for us to go it alone. That's why he's put us in a church. He's put us in a family. We are a body. Christ is the head of the body, and, uh, and the church is his body. We're his hands, his feet, his eyes, his mouth, each one of us. So, those of us who are strong, we need to help those who are weak because we, want to, we don't want to miss out on the grace of God. And God never meant for us to go alone. Please, don't, don't go it alone. Don't, don't just sit back. Sometimes it's, it's the problem uh, of those of us in a, in a clique or a group to not let you in. But sometimes, listen to me, sometimes when you're on the outside, you have to make a move as well. You have to say, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go join. I, I, I'm just going to try. I'm going to put myself out there. God needs us. God needs us to be in this together. We need to be in this together. The world will rip you up and spit you out if you are a believer of Jesus Christ. The world is not kind to believers. God, the world hates God. And those of us who believe and trust and love in him, we've got to pull together so we can finish this journey strong and not miss out on the grace of God. I don't want anybody to feel like you're standing alone this morning.